I tell you what, keeping up with tradition, what's going on in the Cowboy locker room right now, the quarterback of Jerry Jones' football franchise has announced that he wants $40 million on his next contract. Zeke is holding out. Maybe Dak Prescott's going to hold out until a guy who's arguably a top 15 quarterback, probably more like 17th, 18th, something like that, wants to get paid $40 million. I'm sorry, don't you have to be you know, good to make that kind of money? Don't you have to be the reason your team wins? That is quarterback who doesn't need a good offensive line to make you look good kind of money. Even if they get Ezekiel Elliott back, they are going to have a hard time making the playoffs. You know, the media out here saying they're Super Bowl candidate? Not even with Zeke. Not even with Zeke. I'm not even confident they're going to win that division. Things are just going so wrong for the Cowboys behind the scenes. Same thing with Cleveland. Doesn't matter how talented you are. When you have turmoil in-house, what can go wrong will go wrong. It is a sports pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along this Tuesday afternoon. We've got a packed show coming up today. We've got the Northwoods playoffs to look at. We've got an area team and a guest who's going to join me here in a couple of minutes. Plus, I'm going to give you my grades, as I promised yesterday, on the eight new hires at the coaching position in the NFL this year. The eight new NFL head coaches and my expectations for them going forward. But we're going to start with this. Fantasy football's right around the corner, and I can't wait. By the way, we're still looking for two more people in one league I'm in. If you're interested, you like football, get a hold of me. Love to have you. Want to put on a 10-team league. Right now we're sitting at eight. But I tell you what, I am going to give you my list, my wish list, at every position, my top five fantasy draft picks, my wish list. Knowing what I know right now, Tuesday, August 13th, 4 p.m., I am going to give you my wish list at every position in fantasy football this year. So if you're in a league with me and you're listening to this show, this is the only time I'm going to ask you to not listen to me. I probably shouldn't put it out on live air, but I feel I owe it to you. So if you're interested you're on the fence about what guys to draft for your fantasy football team this year, maybe we can answer some of those questions. I've got my list in front of me. Let's jump right into it. My top five wish list for every position, and let's start at quarterback. Now, I want to clarify this. This is not a ranking of who's best at each position. This is simply who I would pick and in what order. My wish list. I'm not saying one player's better than another. I'm just telling you who I would take. So with that in mind, let's jump right into the quarterback position, and we'll start at number five. I'm going to go with Aaron Rodgers. Simply because they're playing in the NFC North, he is going to face arguably two top three defenses this year, and he doesn't have a lot of weapons around him. Other than Devontae Adams, his number two receiving threat is Jimmy Graham. Yeah, maybe a Valdez Scantling if St. Brown take that next step forward. Will they? I don't know. That's a big if, and it's too big of an if to pass on some guys ahead of him that have a lot more weapons around him. So I'm taking Rodgers at number five on my QB wish list. Number four, I'm going with Tom Brady. Okay, Brady's a winner. He is a winner. May not be the flashiest quarterback, but he is a winner. He's going to win you ballgames. But I tell you what, in this sense, I just want stats. I want the flashy guys. I want the guys who are going to put up big offensive numbers. Maybe their team isn't going to win the Super Bowl this year. Maybe Tom Brady will. I would still take him number four overall because he's a winner. His numbers just aren't as sexy necessarily as the three that I have ahead of him. 
Number three on my wish list, I'm going with Andrew Luck. You've heard me say on this show before, I think he's going to be this year's MVP. We found out this morning per owner Jim Ursay, which was really odd, that Andrew Luck is dealing with somewhat of a bone injury. But it was odd that the owner releases this information. Frank Reich, if you're listening, have fun at your next presser that your owner got you into. So that worries me. I like Andrew Luck a lot. He's one of my favorite athletes. I hope we can get him on this show someday. That'd be a dream come true. But I tell you what, I still think he has a chance of being the MVP, but man, they need him healthy. The Colts are a legit Super Bowl contender if Andrew Luck is healthy. And that's why I'm going to put Andrew Luck down to number three. He'd probably be number one if I knew he was healthy. I would take Andrew Luck as my top quarterback if he was fully healthy. But knowing what I know now, I'm going to put him at number three. Number two. Drew Brees. Drew Brees, because of the weapons he has around him and his ability to use them. Specifically, Michael Thomas. And those two are just going to light it up for fantasy owners this year. If you can get your hands on either Brees or Thomas, or even both, if you can somehow pull that off, you're just going to be in really, really good shape. Brees is number two on my list, only to Patrick Mahomes, a reigning MVP. If I had my pick of any quarterback to run my fantasy offense, it would be Patrick Mahomes. 50 touchdowns, 5,000 yards. This year, I don't think he'll personally take a step back. His numbers might not be quite as good as last year, but they'll still be pretty good. It really, he just set the bar so high for himself. How can he possibly top it? So that's my wish list, fantasy football wish list at the quarterback position. Mahomes, Breeze, Luck, Brady, Rogers in that order. How about at running back? Now, I want to clarify this too. This list is my wish list based on what I know right now. And what I know right now is that there's still a chance that Melvin Gordon and Ezekiel Elliott may not play this season. And that's why they're not on my list. Because I, I tell you what, I had the number one overall pick in one of my drafts last year, and I took Le'Veon Bell. And now I'm gun-shy when it comes to running backs who are holding out. I am going to put guys on this list that I know are going to play. I am not going to risk drafting Ezekiel Elliott or Melvin Gordon if I know that they're still holding out when draft time comes. So here are the guys who are on my list. At number five, I could have flipped four and five, but I'm going to go with James Conner at five. Filled in really well for Pittsburgh. He was a steady rock for them last year when Le'Veon Bell was going through his holdout. 23 years old. He's going to continue to get better. And the story behind him, just such a great guy and a great story, overcoming cancer to be a star running back in the NFL. James Conner, I'd be very happy to have him as the running back of my fantasy offense. Number four, I said I could flip four and five. This might surprise some people, but I'm going to go with Chris Carson from the Seattle Seahawks. I would love to have Chris Carson as my fantasy running back. And I know it's surprising because he's not one of those big name, household names, what have you. But would you be surprised to know that Chris Carson rushed for 1,151 yards last season. That was fourth best in the NFL last year, only 100 yards shy of Todd Gurley in the regular season, before Gurley was hampered by injury. Hey, Chris Carson could very well be a sleeper. Knowing what I know now, there are only three guys I would take ahead of him at the running back position. Number three, I've got Alvin Kamara. Based on terms of being a pure running back, I would probably say he is number three in the NFL behind Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott. And while he is, in my mind, a top three running back, top two of anyone who's not holding out, I would still pick Christian McCaffrey ahead of him. I have run CMC at number two on my running back wish list because in a PPR league, what more could you ask for than Christian McCaffrey? He's going to rack up points as a downhill runner, a red zone type back, and then he's going to catch the ball out of the backfield. He can do it both ways. He is just going to rack up fantasy points for you, and he's probably going to do it quietly. 
If you were in a PPR league, you can make the case that McCaffrey should be your number one overall running back. But I'm going to go with Saquon Barkley. And there's no way you can pass on him. Reigning Offensive Rookie of the Year, after what he did last season, people are talking about him being a Hall of Famer after just one year. There's no way you can pass on him. Saquon would be my top overall running back. And if I get the top overall pick again this year, I am going to go with Saquon Barkley. And that's a piece of information that if you're in a league with me, just kind of tune that out. Just forget I said that. So that is my wish list for fantasy running backs in the NFL. Barkley, McCaffrey, Kamara, Carson, and Connor. Again, Elliott and Gordon, I'm not going to invest in them until I know that they aren't holding out anymore. But let me give you a few sleepers. Some guys that didn't make the top five, but are going to be some pretty good running backs to get on your fantasy football team. Marlon Mack from the Indianapolis Colts is not talked about enough, and neither is Joe Mixon. I know Joe Mixon's not going to win man of the year, He's a pretty good running back. He can throw Kareem Hunt up there, too. In the Browns system, I'm excited to see what Kareem Hunt has. But, again, he's going to be out until, what, November is when his suspension is over? Fantasy-wise, he'll be excellent. But I don't think anyone's going to touch him unless you can get him around, what would it be? Uh, you don't want to use a high pick on a guy who's only going to play about six games in the regular season. You might have noticed that Le'Veon Bell wasn't in my top five wish list. I'm not going after Le'Veon Bell, not after taking a year off, playing with a significantly worse team behind a worse offensive line. No way that I'm going to go with Le'Veon Bell, especially when you factor in his head coach, Adam Gase, as compared to Mike Tomlin. Yeah, he'll still probably be a great running back, but I'm not going to take that risk. I would rather have James Conner than Le'Veon Bell as my fantasy running back this year. And then, of course, there's Todd Gurley. I'm not touching Todd Gurley unless I can take him probably sixth round. If I can get him with a bargain, sure. But after what I saw in the playoffs last year, I really think his best days of football are behind him. I'm not going to take a workhorse running back who's hobbled by an arthritic knee in his 20s. I'm not going to do that. I hope that he's able to bounce back, but I'm not going to take that risk if I'm drafting in fantasy unless I can get him in the later rounds. And then finally, David Johnson. I put up for honorable mention. His health has been his biggest issue. He's talented, but it's one thing to be optimistic about a player and another to have proof in the pudding. And I get proof in the pudding from guys like James Conner and Chris Carson. I haven't from David Johnson. That's not to say he's not a good running back, but he's been so injury prone, I'm not going to take a risk on him either. Moving over to wide receiver, my top five fantasy wish list for wide receiver. Number five. You can call me soulless if you want, but Tariq Hill is a heck of a football player. He is a dud and then some of a personality. But man, that speed, that quarterback, let's face it, Tariq Hill is going to have a fantastic season. I would take him fifth on my wish list at the wide receiver position. Number four, I'm going with Adam Thielen. Thielen and Diggs, what a one-two combo they are. And the story behind Thielen has been remarkable. And if you don't know, the Adam Thielen story went to a Division II school on a $500 scholarship. Got a tryout with the Vikings. If he drops one pass in that tryout, he's probably cut. He never makes an NFL roster. Suddenly, he's turned into one of the best receivers in the game. Plus, Gary Kubiak is coming in as a Vikings offensive analyst this year. And I can't wait to see how he utilizes that Vikings receiving core. Adam Thielen is going to have a heck of a year. He's at number four on my wish list. Here's where I had a really hard time. I had a tough time picking my top three wide receivers in this year's fantasy wish list. But I'm going to go with Julio Jones at number three. I had him last year. He didn't get a touchdown until, what, week 10? Something like that? Touchdowns are kind of important. Julio Jones is a heck of a wideout. I'm not saying that. 
But I tell you what, there are a couple of guys that I like just a little bit more. Just a little bit more explosive. That's why I'm going to go with DeAndre Hopkins at number two. And my number one receiver on my wish list, Michael Thomas. Thomas continues to elevate himself, continues to raise the bar. And a big reason why I put him at number one and the other two where they were is because of the quarterback. You take my top three and you look at their quarterbacks. Who's going to be tossing them the pigskin? Drew Brees, Deshaun Watson, and Matt Ryan. There's no bad option, but there's one who's clearly better than the other two. When you put Drew Brees and Michael Thomas together, that combination is just too good for me to pass up. Michael Thomas is the top receiver on my fantasy football wish list. Hopkins I gave the nod to over Julio. A big reason why is because of the snap count. Hopkins is on the field significantly more than Julio Jones is. But I tell you what, it's Hopkins' teammate, Will Fuller, who might be the biggest sleeper in this year's fantasy football draft. I've had him the last couple of years, mostly because he's a Notre Dame guy, but he is one of the best, if not the best, vertical route runner in the NFL. All the guy does is go downfield and catch touchdowns when he's healthy. And that's been his biggest nemesis the last couple of years. You can make the argument... Honestly, it's an argument I'd buy into that Houston would have been the number two seed in the AFC playoffs last year if Will Fuller played the whole season. They were the three seed put together a heck of a year with only one significant wide receiver for most of the year. Imagine if they had two. few other sleepers, I tell you what, T.Y. Hilton. If Andrew Luck is healthy, T.Y. Hilton is going to have a heck of a year. He would be a guy to keep an eye on. He might be one of those number two receivers. You know, you get multiple receivers in fantasy. He might be at the top of my number two wide receiver list. I didn't make a list for that. I just have honorable mention here. I did not put Antonio Brown up there, nor did I put Odell Beckham Jr. I'm not going to take them in my top five. I'm not going to take them over Michael Thomas, DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Adam Thielen, or Tariq Hill. I don't know what I'm going to get out of those two this year. One's a head case, and one's a head case with frostbitten feet. I don't know what I'm going to get from those two. I'm not going to take the risk. Think back to the last game of last season. The Pittsburgh Steelers had a chance to make the playoffs. Antonio Brown basically quit his job before that game. What's he going to do if the Raiders start like 2-6 and or something like that? Will he even make it halfway through the season before he just decides, I'm done? They're in a division with two Super Bowl contenders. Are we expecting much from the Raiders this year? Antonio Brown's got to go in this knowing that there's not a big expectation as far as wins and losses, doesn't he? But what happens when that becomes a reality? The frostbite on his feet or the helmet issue alone, are we concerned that he's going to miss some games? Yes. When you couple in the fact that the Raiders might start 2-6 and six, and he might just quit and walk out like he did on a team that was on the bubble for a playoff spot in their final game. Are we even sure between all that that Antonio Brown's going to play a full season? Moving on, I would put Devontae Adams up there too, by the way. I don't want to forget him. I'd be very happy if he was on my team. A couple other names that I have on my honorable mention list, Mike Evans and A.J. Green. And I don't put them in my top five partly because of the quarterbacks that they have, but they are two darn good receivers and they're going to have great years. I'd be very happy to have them on my fantasy offense. And then my last honorable mention, honestly, I would put this guy sixth if I did top six on my wish list, Juju Smith-Schuster. I like him. I like him a lot. And I'm excited to see what Pittsburgh looks like with him as the guy this year. Juju's younger than I am, and he does what he does. It's just incredible. I would put him number six. But that is my list, my wish list for the wide receiver position. I tell you what, I've still got three position groups left. I've got tight end, kicker, and defense. we got to take a break, though. So I'm going to get to those three and finish out my list next on ESPN-UP. 
Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. The question did come up during the break, going back to my running back list. If Melvin and Zeke were going to play this year, they decide to end their holdout and they are actively ready to play, where do I put them in my wish list? I would keep Barkley at number one. I think there's a debate there between which of those is the better running back. I do think right now it's Zeke. I think Barkley will have a better career when it's all said and done. But Saquon and Zeke would be my one, two. I would push McCaffrey down to three, Kamara four, and then I'd stick Melvin Gordon in at five. Bump Carson and Connor down to six and seven. That's what I would do if Zeke and Melvin Gordon decide to end their holdout. I'm not sure when or if that'll happen. So for now, my list stands. We have three position groups left in my wish list of fantasy football picks for the 2019 season. I tell you what, looking at the tight ends, this offseason caused a major flip-flop on my list. I wanted to put Evan Ingram in the top five. Tight end for the New York Giants coming off a little bit of a down year, but he's going to get plenty of targets this season. And if he's above average, which I do believe he is, he's going to have a lot more opportunities to prove himself. He's going to get those opportunities, unfortunately, because they are going through a battle of attrition. Golden Tate being suspended for the first four games, Corey Coleman and Sterling Shepard trying to recover from injuries. So Ingram is going to be Eli Manning's favorite target in the first few weeks of the season. And yes, I mean Eli, not Daniel Jones. There is no quarterback competition. If you think there is because of one preseason game, you'd need an appointment. Nonetheless, Evan Ingram is going to be excellent, especially early on for fantasy owners. Yet, I'm not going to put him in my top five because of maybe the most underrated move that happened this offseason. A move not enough people are talking about. Just by one tight end who flew under everybody's radar, changing teams, and this changing quarterbacks. And you're not going to get to find out who it is until I get to number four on my list. Here is the top five with Evan Ingram just outside. Number five, I'm going to go with Austin Hooper of the Atlanta Falcons. Really underrated tight end. He's not going to get the targets that Ingram will when you surround him with receivers like Julio Jones and Mohamed Sanu. But he's got a good quarterback, and he's a big body, big soft hands. He's like the prototype tight end. He's more consistent than Ingram, and that's why I'm going to put him in the top five. Number four on my list, this was the big mover. The big shaker, Jared Cook. Maybe the most underrated tight end of the game. Jared Cook was fifth in the NFL in receiving yards by a tight end last year. And he did that for a four-win Oakland team quarterback by Derek Carr. I'm not throwing shade at Derek Carr, but now Cook is headed to the New Orleans Saints. And his quarterback is Drew Brees. Again, I like Derek Carr, but man, Drew Brees is an upgrade to about anybody. Jared Cook is a guy who flies under everyone's radar. The casual football fan might not know that he switched teams this year. They might not even know his name. He just flies under everybody's radar. But know the name, fantasy owners. He's an awesome pickup if you're looking for a tight end. Number three on my list, I'm going with Zach Ertz of the Philadelphia Eagles. Carson Wentz's best friend. You know who hurt the most when Nick Foles had to step in and quarterback the Philadelphia Eagles at the end of the last two seasons? It wasn't Carson Wentz. It was Zach Ertz fantasy owners, because Zach Ertz is Carson Wentz's best friend. His favorite target, sometimes his only target. Seems like every play, Ertz is getting the ball. Like, it's so predictable, how are the Eagles good? Such a big, strong tight end, how are you going to stop him? Zach Ertz is going to get targeted, and he's going to make the catch nine times out of ten. Zach Ertz is a money maker if you're looking for a fantasy tight end. Number two on my list, I'm going with Travis Kelsey. Would have been very easy for me to put him at number one. 
But there's one guy I like better. And part of it is because Mahomes is going to be able to spread out the ball so well this year. I think Kansas City's running game will be fine with Damian Williams. Tariq Hill is certainly going to get a lot of attention. Kelsey is maybe the best tight end in football. And I would love to have him on my team. Don't get me wrong. But the fact that George Kittle is about the only receiving target that Jimmy Garoppolo has to work with, that's why I'm going to go with him. George Kittle led tight ends in receiving touchdowns last year. As a rookie out of Iowa, nobody really thought much of him. But he burst on the scene in a big way, and he's been lighting up the NFL. Kittle, for me, is the tight end that I want on my fantasy team if I have my choice. And I did have him last year, and he went nuts. Huge investment. I loved it because nobody picked up on a rookie out of Iowa except a rookie at ESPNUP out of Iowa. few other honorable mentions. I tell you what, these two individually, they could have made their case to be top 10, top 15 picks. But how about Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron? Maybe the best tight end duo in football. I can't think of a better duo in football. Those two partnered with Andrew Luck. They're going to get their targets. Talk about the relationship between Ertz and Wentz with Philadelphia. Luck and Doyle are friendship goals. Don't judge me for saying that. I don't know if people still say that. But you look at them, they're just best friends. They're just like pure people and great football players. Doyle and Ebron are going to make for a deadly combination at the tight end position for Indianapolis this year. A few other honorable mentions. How about Cameron Brait? Somebody that's not talked about nearly enough. Tight end for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I know he's got Jameis Winston thrown to him, and that may be what's been holding him back. That may be why the world doesn't know Cameron Brait like we should. But the dude has talent. David Njoku, we're going to learn a lot about this year. Expectations were high for him coming out of college a couple of years ago. Baker Mayfield and that new-look Browns offense. I tell you what, there's going to be some reason to be optimistic about Njoku. He's still got a big question mark next to his name for me, though. But if he doesn't make it this year, I'm not sure he will in the NFL. Then Kyle Rudolph from Minnesota. Excellent tight end. I know he's getting up there in age, but he's consistent. His snap count stays high, and he complements two really good wide receivers. Again, Gary Kubiak's going to come into play here, a guy who has molded Super Bowl offenses. We're going to get to see Kyle Rudolph in that kind of a scheme this year. And then, of course, the aforementioned Ben Watson. He's going to miss the first four games of the year due to a PED suspension. I tell you what, you put a tight end in front of Tom Brady, and he's going to learn how to use it. The heir apparent to Gronk, and he may not be a Gronk, but he's still a pretty darn good tight end. And any time you got Tom Brady throwing to you, you're probably going to do well in terms of fantasy points. Moving on to the kicker position. Now, these are guys that you want to draft later on, but some of them can make and break a team. And I tell you what, I've got six kickers. I couldn't decide who I wanted to put at number five. Did I want to go with Will Lutz from New Orleans or Harrison Butker from Kansas City? I think Lutz is a little more consistent. I feel like he's a little bit more consistent, maybe a little more reliable. And if it weren't for just an awful blown call in the NFC Championship game, we would have known him as the guy who sent the Saints to the Super Bowl. So that's why I think Will Lutz could be a top five for me. But Harrison Butker has a cool Twitter handle, at ButtKicker7. Butker, ButtKicker. I like Butker. He's a reliable guy. He's got a reliable leg. And as we saw last year, Kickers can be a rare breed, even at the NFL level. Number four on my list, I'm going with Robbie Gould. Oh, make Chicago Bears fans cringe. They let Robbie Gould get away a couple of years ago. Since then, he's gone on to San Francisco, and he's had maybe the best three-year span in NFL history. In the last three years since getting cut by the Bears, he has hit 96.5% of his field goals. The Bears' all-time leading scorer. Robbie Gould is accuracy. I'm pretty happy if I have him as my kicker. Number three, 
Greg the Leg, Greg Zerline. That guy's almost automatic. He's got a boot, and he can hit it accurately. Greg the Leg. That's who I'm going with at number three. Number two. Actually, number one and two I did have on my fantasy team last year. I carried two kickers for some reason, but I did have the top two kickers probably in football. Adam Vinatieri and number one. Justin Tucker. Adam Vinatieri, the sport's all-time leader in points scored. Justin Tucker, the most accurate kicker in NFL history. That's why those two are at the top. Yeah, I know none of us are perfect, and we all look back and we think, man, that was stupid. Why did I do that? Where was my brain? That's kind of where I was. I had two kickers on my fantasy team last year. Thankfully, I had two really good kickers. So that is my list, my fantasy wish list. For NFL kickers this year, Tucker, Vinatieri, Zerline, Gold, and then Let's Slash Butker. Defense, our final category. My top five defenses on my wish list in NFL fantasy football this year. Number one was pretty easy. Two through five, that was a little tougher. You can put them in any order, you probably wouldn't be wrong. But if I had my pick, this is the order I would take them in. Number five, Jacksonville. That defense is two years away from getting to the AFC Championship with Blake Bortles as quarterback. It was a down year last year. The wheels just completely fell off. Yet people are optimistic about that defense. And a defense with Jalen Ramsey. If Leonard Fournette can refigure things out and control time possession, it's going to give that defense a chance to be really good once again. Jacksonville is a top five defense on my wish list. Number four, I'm going with the Chargers. Derwin James steps in there. Look at that defense. They were quietly really, really special. And I put them at number four because they're going to have to play Patrick Mahomes twice a year. To a lesser extent, they play a team with Antonio Brown, who we assume is still going to be good. Maybe not reliable, but he's going to be pretty good. But mostly when you're playing the Chiefs, that's probably not the day to start the Charger defense. That's going to happen twice this year. That's why I have them at number four. But I'd still like to have them. They're a pretty good defense. Number three, the Dallas Cowboys. Everybody's young. Everybody's cheap, and everybody's good on that Cowboy defense. Leighton Vanderish, Jalen Smith. Now, that's all going to change here in a couple of years because everyone's going to get older and they're going to want to get paid. They're not going to keep everybody there, so enjoy it while you can, Cowboy fans. I see why people are high on Dallas this year. I do, if everything goes according to plan. If Ezekiel Elliott can establish a good ground game, which he does, and dominate time possession, which they should, then that defense is going to be outstanding. Much like what the Minnesota Vikings want to do, that's why I have them at number two. They are my number two defense on my wish list. Man, Gary Kubiak, I can't say enough about what I expect him to do with that offense this year. To me, adding him secured the NFC North Championship for the Vikings this year. That defense is scary, and it's deep. They rode that to the NFC Championship game a couple of years ago. I'm not saying that I'm picking them to get back there this year, but they've got the defense to do it. And the number one defense on my wish list, no surprise here, it's the Bears. Yeah, they lose Vic Fangio. He was a great coordinator, but they still have Khalil Mack. They are going to be just fine. As of right now, there is not another defense in the NFL that I would rather have than that of the Chicago Bears. And they did get Chuck Pagano. I mean, I know losing Fangio hurts. He was the architect of that defense. But Pagano's a pretty good coordinator himself. And shout out to my man Andy. I was talking to him yesterday, a Chicago Bears fan. He told me, yeah, Minnesota's probably going to win this division because we lost Vic Fangio. I still think we'll be a wild card team, but I don't think we're going to be as good as last year. And I do agree, but don't underestimate Chuck Pagano. He knows how to scheme up a defense. That was a great hire by Chicago. 
Let's take another time out. When we come back, let's talk a little bit of baseball. The Northwoods League playoffs got started last night. i got a guest joining me next on ESPN-UP. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. Welcome back to The Sports Pen on ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Guest is going to join me here in just a moment to talk baseball, but first your Sports Center update. He's back. Charlie Manuel has been named the new hitting coach of the Philadelphia Phillies. Manuel, at age 75, had been serving as a team advisor in the front office. The move is not expected to be long-term. Toronto Raptors guard Kyle Lowry will not play in next month's World Cup of Basketball due to a thumb injury. And finally, per British law, any swan swimming in open waters in England or Wales is automatically property of the Queen. That is your Sports Center update. Tanner Hoops with you. Glad to have you along as always. Well, I tell you what, last night the Northwoods League baseball playoffs got underway, and the Traverse City Pittsbitters were victorious in their Northwoods postseason debut. We're joined by manager Josh Rebant, his team getting set to welcome Kalamazoo tonight for game two of the Great Lakes Divisional Series. Josh, I appreciate you taking the time. Congrats on last night's win. How you guys feeling as you get set for game two tonight? Yeah, we're we're excited. It's nice to be back home. And the uh, the advantage for us is that we don't have to go on the road for us to play up. Uh, with the way that the overall standings finished out, with us having the best overall record in the league, and just being able to be at home, sleep in our own beds, and not have to worry about getting on a bus and have an eight eight hour bus ride for a game, it's definitely an advantage for us. And um, I know our guys really say play in front of our home crowd tonight. We've had great fan support over the last few weeks and all summer, but really the last few weeks it's really picked up quite a bit. And uh, the guys are excited to hopefully take home this first round tonight in front of a nice crowd. Well, for those who may not know, the Northwoods, while they expanded the league this year, they changed the playoff format as well. Tell me if you could the changes as compared to last year in the playoff format. Sure, yep. So last year is a one-game playoff um, for the first two series. And then it was a best of three champion league championship series. So this year, they switched it. The first round is now a best of three. Um, so we're we're in game two tonight with Kalamazoo at our place. And then it's uh, and then the next series would be a one game playoff against the other division from the Great Lakes. So right now, Madison, Wisconsin Rapids are on that other side. And it would be a one-game playoff with them, and then it would be a one-game playoff for the league championship uh, either Friday or Saturday this week. Well, tell me about last night's contest, a nice 8-1 victory over the Growlers. Yeah, Chad Patrick got the start for us on the mound, and Chad commanded it really, really well. Um, just his his fastball early on, he had really good command of getting swings and misses his slider. He kind of figured it out around the third inning, getting it over uh, for a strike. And then once you start commanding the slider for a strike, then you can start getting more swings and misses on it because they, you know, he, he was locating a lot that were down and out, down and away off the plate and wasn't getting chases because they hadn't seen it for a strike much yet. And then once he started throwing it for a strike, then the ones that were not in the strike zone, he started getting swings and misses on. Uh, and then he really just carried us through. His pitch count was low, got us through seven innings. Um, and then Pat Holfeld and Luke Little shut it down for us for the rest of the game. Offensively, Mario Camaletti had the big hit to get us going in the seventh inning, the seven-run seventh inning that we had, and uh, we were able to, to cruise to a victory. So it was, it was a really nice night for us at Kalamazoo, and, um, yeah, we were, we were excited to be on our way back home to Traverse City. 
And a really nice night for Christian Faust as well. He was awarded Northwood's Player of the Night after driving in two and going three for five on the night. Tell me about his performance. Yeah, Faust was great. And honestly, it wasn't just his offensive uh, offensive numbers, in my mind, that made him deserving a Player of the Night. He made some really nice plays over at third base last night, um, which you don't see that in a box score necessarily unless you're really looking in depth, but you don't see the types of plays that he had to make. Um, he had some plays in front of him, plays closer to the foul line, plays to his left, uh, so balls hit right at him. He, he had quite a bit of action over there and played really nice defensively for us. So, um, yeah, I think overall his performance really helped. <laughs> it was a key part to our victory last night, so we were excited that, uh, that he was able to be rewarded for that. Yeah, he's a Grand Valley State guy. You coach at Davenport. Did that factor into you recruiting him there that you have to coach against him a few times a year? You know, actually, the uh, the main uh, the main trigger for uh, for bringing Faust in was that we, we graduated from the same high school. My high school coach uh, called me about him, and um, he said, "Hey, Faust is looking for a place to play this summer. Um, you know, if you have if you have a spot." So uh, I had gotten in contact with Faust, and at the time, we didn't have a spot available. And then uh, um, eventually, just through uh, transition of the roster, sometimes in the off season, a spot o- ended up opening up. Um, and so that's how the, the main connection was to get to get Fauci up here to Traverse City. Well, let's talk about tonight's matchup. You win, you move on to the Great Lakes Championship Series. Tell me what to expect from Kalamazoo tonight. you have an idea who they're throwing? Um, it's, no, it's Christian Johnson. Uh, he goes to his school, I believe, up in Minnesota. Um, we saw him at our place for about four innings, and we were able to score some runs off from my um, I, so I, I think, you know, our guys, regardless of who's on the mound on the other side, whoever's on the mound on the other side is going to compete. They're, they're going to try and do whatever they can to stay in it. But I know our guys, too, at the plate are pretty locked in. They feel comfortable at the, in the box. And um, so, um, yeah, I, I don't remember a lot about Johnson on the mound, but um, we also have Hoffman going for us, and we <laughs> – we definitely have a lot of trust in Hoffman. He's, uh, he's done a nice job for us. He was awarded Pitcher of the Year in the Northwoods League, and uh, I, I'm, I'm confident that he's going to give us a chance to win tonight. Well, tell me about Hoffman's arsenal, what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah, he's got multiple pitches for strikes. Um, his fastball, he's usually 88 to 91, somewhere in that range. Um, sometimes might get a 92. And then uh, he's got a couple breaking balls that he can throw in different counts. Um, and he has a good changeup, too. So he's got a four-pitch mix that um, really keeps hitters off balance. And he can command all of them in the strike zone, all of them in any count. Um, and he's just got a good demeanor, a good mound presence. He doesn't get phased if, you know, a guy gets a hit off of him that doesn't throw him off, and he just keeps pounding the strike zone and let our defense have a chance to do what they do, uh, which is turn double plays or make some really good plays uh, in the outfield or, you know, that kind of thing. So um, Hoffman's. Hoffman's just kind of been that steady Eddie force on the mound and just giving us a chance out. He's definitely well well uh, deserved of the Pitcher of the Year award that he received. So um, it'll be exciting to have him throw tonight for us. Josh Reban on the ESPN-UP phone line with us, manager of the Traverse City Pittsbitters. They are a win away from moving on to the Great Lakes Championship Series. Well, Josh, until you get to the ballpark tonight, what's going to be the plan for you and your guys? Are you How do you spend the day leading up to game time? Yeah, I, uh, I'm kind of spending it like I have most mornings. Uh, I'm actually in downtown Traverse City right now. Uh, just got some coffee at the local coffee shop brew here. Um, and just kind of just 
treating it like any other day. Um, and our guys, a lot of them will probably go to the YMCA here in town and uh, get a workout in like they a lot of them usually do. Um, whether it's a game day or not, they've kind of gotten used to being in that routine of getting a little bit of a workout in on game days. And um, then we'll start our early work uh, at the field. Guys will show up and have an opportunity to either get some more defense work or offensive work in before the game tonight. And then uh, we'll roll into batting practice after that and then uh, get ready for the game. So uh, not a lot has changed in terms of what we do on a day like today. Um, and most of us are probably just trying to stay to our own schedules in the way that you know we've kind of done things all summer. And then uh, we'll all kind of be getting into the ballpark to get ready for the night. And, um, yeah, it should be exciting. Well, you won last night. Madison won last night. You each are a win away from playing each other for a chance to go to the Summer Collegiate World Series. When you're in a playoff situation like this, is there a little scoreboard watching going on in the dugout, or are you pretty much focused on your game, what you need to do? Well, obviously you're focused most on uh, on what you need to do, but it kind of does play in part a little bit to strategy. Um, you know, if, if Madison and Wisconsin Rapids were to go into a game three and we, we are able to sweep tonight, then we would know we'd have an off day tomorrow. So that might kind of play into who we might throw tonight if we know we have an off day tomorrow. Um, whereas if we don't have the off day tomorrow, we have to play game three because either we're down or uh, because Wisconsin Rapids has a chance to beat Madison. That might play a little bit into factor of who we, uh, who we use on the mound uh, later in the game tonight. Um, so there is a little bit of scoreboard watching that might go into a little bit of strategy and that kind of thing. But um, if uh, obviously it comes down to you know just taking care of your own business and doing what you have to do to move on to the next round. Well, tell me about the fans at Traverse City. You have a beautiful ballpark with great facilities. Tell me about the fans in Traverse City and how they've embraced you in your first season of existence. Man, I've, I've we've, we've been talking about it so much over the last. 15 days or so, um, the fan support has been absolutely incredible. Um, we've had a couple nights now, over 4,000. I think we were sold out uh, last week um, on Friday night, our last home regular season game. And, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to be able to continue to have that hopefully throughout the week. The hardest part is that we be kind of a floating calendar for the playoffs because you don't always know when that next game is after the first round. Um, so hopefully, you know, just in terms of information getting out of when we're available. Um, but I think if the fans know, I think they're going to continue showing up. And it's been really cool. We have really good baseball knowledge fans, too. Um, you know, there's a play we had, a uh, fly ball to right field. We were on defense, and uh, our right fielder with the runner at third threw the ball home, as he should, um, try and get the runner home. But the runner didn't even try to attempt to score. And it was a perfect one-hop throw to our catcher, and the, the crowd applauded it because they knew that he kept that runner at third base. Uh, so that just shows, you know, what kind of knowledge base that the fans have here. And uh, they're good baseball fans. They get up on their feet for a big out or a big strikeout or something to end the game, that kind of thing. So um, they, they definitely give our guys a lot of energy. So we have to give a lot of credit to them. It's a lot of fun, a lot of fun to play in front of and coach in front of well, tell me about spending your summer in Traverse City, the city itself, and what the experience has been like. It's been great. Um, my wife and I absolutely love Traverse City. Um, downtown, such a cool area. There's so much going on here with uh, the Cherry Festival, the Film Festival, the State Fair, um, and then just, you know, all that downtown has to offer, too, the different restaurants and coffee shops and, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's a really neat area. And then Sleeping Bear Dunes, too. My wife and I, over the All-Star break, we had the chance to go over to Sleeping Bear Dunes and see that stuff, which is something, even though we're from Michigan, we hadn't had the chance to do before. Um, and so it's just a great people town. Um, people are obviously very nice here, and um, we couldn't be more grateful to, to spend our summer here in Travers. Josh Reban is the manager of the Traverse City Pitspitters. They are looking to move on. They are one win away from moving on to the Great Lakes Championship Series in the Northwoods League. Josh, again, thanks for the time. Best of luck this evening and the rest of the way. We'll talk again soon. Sounds great, Tanner. Thanks a lot. Let's take a time out. When we come back, predicting the first season for the eight NFL rookie head coaches. As next on the Sports Pen on ESPN-UP and ESPN-UP app. Check out the UP's live and local sports talk show, The Sports Pen. Weekday afternoons at 4 on ESPN-UP and on the ESPN-UP app. If you missed any part of the show today, you can check it out on demand with our free mobile app. Get it from the Apple Live Store or Google Play. Just look up ESPN-UP. Tanner Hoops with you on this Tuesday afternoon. By the way, programming note, this evening at 7 o'clock, 6 central, we will have our second airing of our high school football kickoff show right here on ESPN-UP. You can hear from all five coaches in Marquette County. They'll tell you about the team. Again, that's on demand in case you missed the first episode on Saturday. But it's going to be the same thing. You'll hear it again tonight, 7 o'clock, AIM and FM. You can hear from your favorite coach and hear the latest on your team. Well, I tell you what, we're going to get to my, should I say, predictions for the rookie head coaches in the NFL for the upcoming season. Now, I keep pushing things back. I was planning on getting this in yesterday, and the segment I had for today, I'm probably not going to be able to make it work. I was hoping that I would get to talk about Tate Martell. Tate Martell, in case you didn't know, he was one of the highest-rated quarterbacks coming out of high school. In 2012, he committed to the University of Washington. Then he decommitted from the Huskies in 2015. Later that year, he decided to commit to Texas A&M. 2016, he gets to campus, and he says that the Aggie quarterbacks are a word I can't say on air and that he can start as a freshman. Later that year, it became apparent he was not going to start as a freshman. He decommitted once again. 2017, he enrolled at Ohio State, and then last year, he started tweeting about swinging and missing. And earlier this year, transferred to Miami. Well, last night, it was announced by head coach Manny Diaz that Tate Martell will not start for the Miami Hurricanes at quarterback for their season opener against the University of Florida in 11 days. A guy who believes that he is better than any other quarterback in the country, and he will let you know it, never afraid to do so, is out of a job once again. So does that mean he's back in the transfer portal? And if so, where's he going? He's a quarterback that wants to play somewhere. So what are the top destinations for him? I'll give you this really quick. I won't do a whole top five because we got something else to get to. I think West Virginia would be the best place for him. He was looking at the Mountaineers earlier, and they have a history of helping quarterbacks turn their careers around. Will Greer turned into one of the most prolific passers in school history after just an awful start at the University of Florida. If there's any place it could work out for Tate Martell, it'd be with Neil Brown in Morgantown. Another option, though, keep an eye on San Diego State. Martell is from that area. Why not go home? Try to start for a mid-major. Would make sense. You've lost the race at three power schools. Why not go home? Be an Aztec. But I tell you what, getting back to the NFL, we've got a coaches segment to go into. One last programming note, however, because I am going to forget this if I don't say it now. Tomorrow night... If you haven't gotten enough of the Philadelphia Phillies here in ESPN-UP, 
You get another chance to hear them tomorrow. They welcome the Cubs, part of our Wednesday night lineup. 6.30, our pregame coverage begins. We will have the ESPN broadcast here on ESPN-UP. Cubs at Phillies, 6.30 pregame. Well, I tell you what, there are eight new coaches in the NFL this fall. Six of them are offensive guys, and five of those six are under 45 years old. The NFL is following a trend of big offense and young offense. So let me give you the list of coaches and the reasons why I believe they will or won't be successful in the NFL this year. You have Arizona hiring Cliff Kingsbury, Cincinnati got Zach Taylor, Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians, Green Bay and Matt LaFleur, the New York Jets and Adam Gase, and Cleveland with Freddie Kitchens. Two defensive coaches were hired, Vic Fangio with Denver and Brian Flores with Miami. Now let me tell you what, I don't believe that any of the eight teams that have a rookie head coach this year are going to go to the playoffs. So this was kind of a difficult segment. Who do I think is going to exceed expectations? Who do I think is going to meet expectations? Who do I think is going to fall below expectations? It's tough to do. I don't think any of these teams are going to the playoffs. But I tell you what, there are a few of these hires that may not translate to a postseason berth this year. But I believe we're the right hire and a risk that you had to take. Let's start with Arizona with Cliff Kingsbury. I love this hire. I'm in love with this hire. I'm not afraid to admit it. It is a huge risk. Huge risk. But the payoff is so good, I'm willing to do that. I mean, really, can anyone be worse than Steve Wilkes? I mean, let's be honest. They invest in some offense. For Kingsbury, this is high reward and little risk. No matter what happens here with Arizona, people are going to know that he can coach a college offense. There's still going to be jobs down the line for him. If it does work out, he is going to speed up the new era that is being ushered into pro football, that of the high-octane offense. Kingsbury has produced prolific quarterbacks year in and year out at Texas Tech. He did not produce prolific defenses, however, and that led to his 45-52 and career record with the Red Raiders and ultimately his termination. About a month and a half later, he was hired as the offensive coordinator at USC and then left the job after about two weeks. The Arizona Cardinals offered him the head coaching position after Kyler Murray said he was going to play football professionally instead of baseball. They knew they had the chance to get one of the best offensive players and coaches that college football has ever seen. Now Thursday night, when the Cardinals opened their preseason schedule, it was the first time Kingsbury stepped foot on an NFL sideline since 2006 when he was a backup quarterback with the Buffalo Bills. There's going to be a learning period, but... The biggest reason why I think this could work, other than Kyler Murray, is because of Vance Joseph, the recently fired head coach of the Denver Broncos. He's a great defensive mind. He really is. And I look at this as him and Kingsbury being co-coaches. Kingsbury running the offense. Joseph handles the defense. And this could work because Kyler Murray is that dynamic. David Johnson, if he stays healthy, let's see what Larry Fitzgerald has left. The air raid system has worked for Kingsbury, and he constantly cranked out quarterbacks that translated to the NFL. His big offensive system is exactly what the NFL is trending toward. So I like this hire. I really do. I've always been a Kingsbury fan. I like the way he schemes an offense, and I'm hoping things work out for him in the NFL. Nonetheless, that division is going to be so good, I think Arizona is going to finish in the cellar in that division. But that's going to speak more to how good the Seahawks have gotten this offseason, how good the Rams still are, how much improved the 49ers are going to be, although I don't think they're a playoff team either. What's the worst thing that could happen? You almost have to try to have a worse season than Steve Wilkes last year. The bar is set so low, this was the perfect opportunity for Kingsbury. 
And I don't care what anybody says. I like this hire. I'm not sure how well it'll work, but I think this is a chance that Arizona needed to take. I tell you what, let's keep on moving here. Let's get to Freddie Kitchens, Cleveland Browns. This was a home run hire, and it was the easiest hire. In eight games, Freddie Kitchens took Baker Mayfield from a first-year project, and he turned him into an offensive rookie of the year candidate. Let me give you the numbers. Check this out if you don't believe me. The numbers for Baker Mayfield under Todd Haley, previous offensive coordinator before Hugh Jackson's firing as head coach, and then afterwards with Freddie Kitchens as offensive coordinator. Under Todd Haley, Baker Mayfield completed 58% of his passes, 66, excuse me, 68% under Freddie Kitchens. He completed 10% more of his passes. Average yards per game, 245 under the old regime, 282 under Freddie Kitchens. He bumped it up by 37 yards a game. And then touchdowns per game, 1.3 under Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson, 2.4 under Freddie Kitchens. Does that mean Freddie Kitchens and the Browns are going to dominate the AFC this year? They're going to run roughshod over anybody and it's theirs to lose? Absolutely not. I'm one of those people still not high on the Cleveland Browns. To me, the Steelers will win the AFC North because Cleveland's got so many shiny pieces there. They really do. But shiny pieces do not make a team. They've got a good group there, and they should be a good team. They have all kinds of talent there, but shiny pieces don't make a team, and that doesn't lead to success. They aren't flying under anybody's radar this year. Still, though, they made the best hire of anybody and the most obvious hire by giving Freddie Kitchens his first head coaching job. At this time a year ago, Freddie had zero coordinator experience in the NFL. He has two months of it now, and now he's a head coach. Despite that, I still don't think Cleveland is going to win the North this year. They'll be improved, but they got a lot of questions to answer for me before I can say that they are a playoff team. The Denver Broncos, they pick up Vic Fangio, defensive coordinator of the Chicago Bears. Now, I'm not saying this is a bad hire. I just don't fully understand it. Fangio was the architect of a Bear defense that dominated the NFL last year. But how much did Khalil Mack have to do with that? How much did Vic Fangio? I'm not discrediting Fangio. But here's what makes it a weird hire for me. You have kind of a sad quarterback competition. When you see Drew Locke battling Joe Flacco for a starting job under John Elway, isn't that a little bit depressing? You need someone who's going to develop those quarterbacks. Unless John Elway thinks he's going to do it himself, who's going to develop those two? You hired a defensive-minded coach when the quarterback position is your biggest question mark. I don't know about that one. I'm not saying it's a bad hire, because I do think Fangio can coach. But I just don't know about that one from the Denver Broncos. I still don't think they're winning that division either. They're in a division with two Super Bowl contenders, potentially, and Antonio Brown. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers got Bruce Arians. His retirement lasted a whole 370 days, and now he's reuniting with Jameis Winston. I say reunited because when Jameis was 12 years old, He attended a Bruce Arians quarterback camp. Well, now he's going through it again right now, into the preseason, and we assume, unless something goes horribly wrong, he will be the starting quarterback for the Buccaneers in Week 1. This is it for Jameis Winston. If it doesn't work out for Bruce Arians, he just goes back to retirement. Not a lot to lose for him. For Jameis Winston, he's in his mid-20s. He wants to have a long life of football still ahead of him. Their success is married to each other, Winston's and Arians. But if if Jameis doesn't succeed, 
that doesn't look as bad on Arians as Winston not succeeding under Bruce Arians. Their success is married to each other, but one has far more to lose than the other. However, Arians being the quarterback whisperer, this was the right hire. This was the guy that you needed to get because Jameis Winston is your biggest question mark. The New York Jets picking up Adam Gase from division rival Miami. He went about two games under 500 during his Dolphins tenure. What a weird guy he's become since going to the Big Apple. Turns into this, sem- uh, what do you call those, smelling salt, sniffing, snorting, bearded, crazy-eyed guys. Just turned into a weird guy since going to New York. Here's another hire that isn't necessarily bad. It just baffles me. They hired, the Jets did, they hired Adam Gase because, quote, he's got a hot young offensive mind and they want him to develop Sam Darnold. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Uh, He might do fine. Adam Gase might do fine. Maybe Sam Darnold takes a few steps forward as a quarterback this year. But what exactly made you want to hire Adam Gase? Like, I get wanting a hot young offensive mind. So does everybody. But wouldn't you go the LaFleur, the McVay tree route? Go get somebody like Zach Taylor? What has Adam Gase done? What does his repertoire say that makes you think, this is the guy that I want to develop my quarterback and help him take the next step? Speaking of Zach Taylor, he was picked up by the Cincinnati Bengals. A lot of people don't know much about Zach Taylor, including me. The highest coaching job that he's had in the NFL was interim head coach of the Dolphins in 2015. And now he is the man on the sidelines for Cincinnati. I tell you what, even though we don't know a whole lot about him, this is already an improvement from last year because he's not Marvin Lewis and he's not Hugh Jackson. He's exactly what Andy Dalton needs, a quarterback guy. I don't know if he's a whisperer, but he's young and he comes from the McVay coaching tree. So I don't know if this was a hire that this is one that I think we're going to have to wait maybe a couple seasons to see if this was indeed a good hire or not. Brian Flores got hired by the Miami Dolphins. He was the defensive coordinator after Matt Patricia took off to coach the Lions. Now, Flores is another guy we don't know a lot about. He's only had one year of coordinator experience last season, albeit they won the Super Bowl. His defense was 29th in the league against the run. So Flores has been with New England for his entire career, dating back to 2004. But Miami knew from the get-go this was their guy. And while we don't know a lot about Flores... That should tell you something and give you some confidence as a Miami fan. That Miami has a clear plan in place, and this was the guy to execute it. They had a plan, and they knew the guy they wanted, and they got him. We don't know a lot about Flores. Another guy with a lot of question marks entering his tenure with Miami. But it should give you confidence in Miami in the sense that they knew exactly who they wanted, and they went out and they got him. And of course, Matt LaFleur was hired by the Green Bay Packers this offseason. A stint at Northern Michigan, quarterback's coach here in 2006. LaFleur had made a few stops as an assistant with Washington, with the Rams, and most recently Tennessee before coming here. Now, I like Matt LaFleur. Packer fans, I don't think you're going to make the playoffs this year, but you made a good hire. Hang in there. Hang in there. You got the right guy. You've got the right coaching staff, in fact. Nathaniel Hackett, it's going to turn out to be a home run hire. He's going to be an underrated offensive coordinator. I hope he's not going to be underrated. But Hackett is going to get the most out of that ground game, and Aaron Rodgers will be complimented by his best ground attack in almost a decade. There's just not enough weapons around him. Devontae Adams, yes, but he's going to draw double coverage every time. 
you got a few guys that look promising. You need to take the next step in that receiver core. And Jimmy Graham, it's time to cut dead weight. I tell you what, they're in a tough division. They are. They're in a division that features two top three defenses in the NFL. That makes up one-fourth of their schedule. It's probably not a playoff year for Green Bay. So how do you judge this season? Well, the Green Bay standard is playoffs are bust. So what do you do? What is the measuring stick for Matt LaFleur? Objectively, to improve. To improve from last season. It may not be a playoff year. If it is, gravy. But you got to see yearly improvement. And next year, probably has got to be a playoff berth, knowing the Packers' standard. With that, we are out of time. Glad to have you along in this Tuesday afternoon. Don't forget our coaches show airing again tonight at 7. Hear from all five Marquette County coaches and get their thoughts on their teams. Football season right around the corner, and ESPN-UP has got you covered with everything you need to know. Again, thank you for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the show as much as I enjoyed bringing it to you. I'm back on tomorrow, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. It's my hope that you join me. Until then, class dismissed. Have a great Tuesday.